0: Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then the familiar words from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 following, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be to all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Now let's... This past week I had a rather unusual experience. I went into a Toyota dealership in Asheville to stop by to uh, greet a friend of mine there and invite him to come to church. And when I stopped in, he said, I'm very glad that you came because there's a friend of of yours in my office and I want you to to come in and speak to him. I walked into his inside office and there on the telephone, talking about matters of business, was Mr. Henderson Belk of Charlotte. After he had finished his telephone conversation, he stood up, came around, greeted me, He had not seen me since I had been sick and had the heart surgery last spring, and so we began to talk for a little while. Somehow the conversation fell to the series of sermons that were on the Beatitudes and he told me of someone in Charlotte who was interested in them. And then he said to me, do you know that the Beatitudes themselves outlined the plan of salvation? Now all the time I had the distinct feeling that what Henderson wanted to do was to give a word of witness to the other people who had by this time gathered in the manager's office and were listening to what he had to say. I thought I'd be quiet and just see how many of the Beatitudes he could recall from memory. Uh, to my very great uh, astonishment and also to a rather humbling experience, he went through all eight of them perfectly. Uh, first of all, he said the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, said he, uh, teaches us that this is the door in which man comes to God because he recognizes that he is a sinner and that he is in need of a Savior and that he is bankrupt without him. Blessed day that mourn, teaches us that he not only recognizes his sin, but that he is sorry for his sin. Sorry enough to seek after God's comfort and the strength which God can bring to the sinner who is willing to repent. Then he said the meek. The meek, he said, are those who are willing to be disciplined by God, to be controlled by him, to allow the Holy Spirit to come into their lives so that they bring their lives into conformity with his will. And then he said, they begin to grow hungry and thirsty after righteousness. They want the will of God more than they want anything else in all of life. And so they begin to grow in hunger and thirst for his word and for prayer. And then he said, this brings them to the point that they recognize that God has shown to them the greatest of mercy in forgiving their sin, And so they are made happy because they are merciful because they cannot deny mercy to other people, for God has forgiven them so much. And then he said, they become pure in heart. Their motives are not mixed. They want to serve God. They want to serve God without mixed motives. They wish to please him. And this, he said, leads them to be peacemakers. 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 Blessed are the peacemakers, said Jesus for they shall be called the sons of God. This comes back circled to the very beginning again to the poor in spirit, uh, for they uh, uh, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, a peacemaker, said Paul, he said, uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, said my friend, the businessman. It's our business to be witnessing for Christ. It's our business to be bearing a testimony for him so that other people might know peace with God. And then he said, if this happens, of course, and we live the life that the Beatitudes teach us to live, we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, just as Jesus himself was persecuted and as Christians have been persecuted for his sake down through the years. Well, let's go back and review just a moment and then think about Christmas and how it applies to our service today. Last week we said that the pure in heart are those who see God, that sometimes we cannot see because our motives are dirty. We want to serve self, and therefore we don't see God. So we need to be cleansed so that we see Him. Without mixed motives, we want to serve Him, and we want to serve Him faithfully and purely. I couldn't help but... Think about old Samuel Rutherford, the great Scottish saint who imprisoned in the cold Aberdeen prison. I had a letter last week from someone in Aberdeen who attends our church, and he sent me a, a tape from the service there, and I remember once preaching in Aberdeen, and oh, it was cold there on the brink of the North Sea. And I thought about Samuel Rutherford, the knight of Christ's covenant who was placed in a dungeon in Aberdeen. And how in the shivering cold he had visions of Jesus coming to visit him. And how in the letters that he wrote to Anwith, his little church by the Solway Tide, he wrote to Anwith and said, Christ came into my cell last night and all the stones glowed red like rubies. You see, he sought to see God. And Samuel Rutherford, in speaking of his experience with seeing God because of his faithfulness with God, reminds me, how many times I've seen in the seventeen years I've been here, young women march down this aisle up toward the front of the church, dressed in all of the most beautiful uh, array that they can. Because it's the day of their wedding, they're about to be married, they've practiced it the night before, and the organist is playing and the candlelights are here, and the flowers are all present, and the bridemaids have come forward. And those who threw the, the p- little rose petals or flowers have come. And then comes the bride uh, down the aisle. But do you know the bridegroom who stands here is never looking at all of the beautiful white garment that she is wearing. He is not thinking about that. But his eyes are fixed on the eyes of his beloved. And he is looking into her face. And he won't take his eyes off her face as she comes down the aisle. And when she comes here and they are joined together, her eyes meet his eyes. And they look at each other. And this is the way it is with the pure in heart. They shall see God. They shall love him so much that they're oblivious to the trash of the world. They want their eyes to be fixed on what will please their Heavenly Father. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart shall see God, and the pure in heart shall be peacemakers, said Jesus. They are going to be sons of God. Bearing a testimony as the businessman did, I couldn't help. As I walked out of the thing, it was a total surprise I should meet the man there in the automobile store. But when I walked away, I thought, you know, that's wonderful. There was a little church service being conducted right there in the automobile store. There was a different tone in the conversation. There was a difference in the people outside looking. Because they could sense that others were talking very naturally, very normally, about the things of God. And so a little service was being conducted. And how it is that we ought to be willing to speak a word for Jesus wherever we go. Wherever we go, we ought to show people that we love him, that we're faithful, and we're true to him. Now then, the peacemaker is the one who helps to make peace with God. Jesus came into this world, as this marvelous passage from Isaiah told us, at a terrible time of discontent. Isaiah the prophet had foreseen something that was going to happen, not only in his own day because there were marching armies, not only because thousands of his own people had been taken into captivity and were yet to go, not only because he needed hope, and was praying for hope. But God caused him to see 700 years almost in ahead to the prediction of one who would be called, the one whose government we need more than any government in all of the world. We put a cross on his shoulders, and he bore our iniquities in his own body on the tree. But that's the one, the prince of peace, we talk about the day who makes us peacemakers so that we can show the love of God to others and we need him so much. How does he make us peacemakers? First of all, by reconciling ourselves, us, unto God through his own death on the cross. I've often pointed out to people that in the Eastern Church, when they take the blessed Lord's Supper, the, the bread is in a little silver canister And there is a star, like the star that shone over Bethlehem. And when you pull off the top from it, inside is the communion bread, the broken body, representing that those who were going to the manger were going to find one who would be born crucified to offer the sacrifice by which our sins are to be forgiven. And we are to be made at peace with God. And then when we have peace with God, uh, you know, it's interesting what begins to happen in our own lives. Our characters begin to change. I was thinking yesterday that the older you grow in the things of God, the less you pray for material things, and the more you pray for character. You ever stop to think about that? If you really want to see if you're growing in the things of the Lord, what do you pray for? Would you rather pray that God would make you a better person? That God would make you cleaner? That God would make you easier to live with? That God would enable you to give and to receive love more comfortably with other people? That God would make you true and a person of integrity? Or do you pray more for things? If you pray more for character then you can sense that you're growing in grace. And when I think of the peace that the character of Jesus brings, you see his disciples bickering about which one is the greatest, which seemed to be a favorite conversation piece of theirs. And yet Jesus is perfectly at peace. They're frantic one day because a great crowd of people have come and followed him and it's late in the evening, and. And they're already weary and they don't know how they're going to be fed and someone comes and says, you better send this crowd home because we don't have anything to give them to eat. And Jesus startled them. He said, you give them to eat. And they were nonplussed by what he should say. And then Jesus, John tells us in a beautiful little line, he knew in himself what he would do. He always knows what he's going to do. Peace is the possession of adequate resources. And he possessed adequate resources. Isn't it strange? Strange that this little baby who would be born in a feeding trough of animals, some old stone thing in a grotto or cave, where they would put in fodder or straw for ox to eat. And if you stop and think about the you. Humility of it all if the inn was full of people. You can be dead certain that the stable was full of horses or donkeys or oxen or however they came there. It wasn't a very beautiful sight. And yet here the Son of God is to be born. The little woman Mary, perhaps 15 years of age having ridden on a donkey in this advanced time of her pregnancy for almost five days and nights. What a pitiful thing. How touching. And this is the Son of God himself. He himself will not turn a stone into bread to feed himself, but he'll feed a hungry multitude. That day he knew what he would do, said John. John and he gave them to eat and then he said I'm going to give my body as food to be eaten and this he said is more important than the food of the world because your your outward man will perish but I will give you the food the bread of life, which you need more than you need any earthly food this is our blessed Lord Jesus how he tried to quiet them when they were fussing. Now I think about his peacemaking. When we come into the room, does our presence mean that it's going to be peace or does it mean it's going to be trouble? There's some people, when they walk in, it's almost like someone throwing a hand grenade in the room. It, you know that uh, it's going to be a battle. There are others who can come into the room and you, you just feel better when they walk in the room. Dr. Nelson Bell was one of those people. I used to just feel better when he walked in the room. You knew that somehow things were going to be okay. That he could think through it. Or that he would figure some way to get it done. That he would uh, help people not to feel hard toward one another. He would be a real peacemaker in the best sense of the word. He would be bringing out the best in each other. To have peace takes more than a contempt for Extremes and a desire for peace, you've got to be able to see what's best on both sides and to pull that out uh, to a meeting point so that it can get together. And this is what these gifted people who walk close to the Lord can do. We've said in our scripture His name is to be called Jesus because He saves us from our sins so that we can see God more clearly and serve Him more closely. Call His name Emmanuel. God with us is what the angel said. God with us. That he promised to be with us. That's a tremendous expression. In the very beginning of his birth, we are told thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And when he was received up by the clouds into heaven, he said, "Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He promised to be with us. Right here in Montreat in Gaither Chapel or wherever this radio broadcast is going and whatever the trouble might be where you are this day. How does he bring peace to people who are different? Well, by that character which he teaches us through these Beatitudes which we have read. Last week when I was talking about Simeon and this morning when I was back here getting blessed watching Dr. Ed Curry pray and listening to him pray. I couldn't help but think about that old man, Simeon. Eighty years, no tomorrow in the temple, looking down on that little baby, which was the Son of God, and thinking about that baby, knowing that he would bring peace to many, but also judgment to others. And how God blessed Simeon with this marvelous ability to see, and then to make the prediction that he did the pure in heart, and he sees God. And this is a great thing. Now I remember seeing another, very much like Simeon, over at the Ben Lippin Conference Center, old Vance Havner. I loved to hear him preach. A gaunt, skinny old man with a creaky country voice and a little thin wisp of gray hair and blue eyes But when he preaches, you know that he has walked a long time with Jesus, and as the Scots say, he has far been. And when he talks about Jesus, you can sense his presence. And I remember him telling a story of how one day over at the Ben Lippin Conference Center, the night before, some people had got into a big theological argument about the second coming of Christ and whether or not the church would go through the tribulation or whether... Uh, the people would be taken up and this had gotten uh, people all out of sorts with one another and it continued over the next morning at the breakfast table. Now there were people from all denominations there because it's an interdenominational conference center. And so he said that it was at the breakfast table of the last morning they were arguing about the tribulation. And then uh, it came time for devotions and they called for Lena, the Negro cook the old black lady with the white hair to come out of the kitchen and to sing for them. She came outside and her face just radiated the goodness and the love of the Lord. And then she began to sing without accompaniment the words, I am weak but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk, dear Lord, close to Thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, if you please. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. man said that when he looked around, that the Presbyterian next to him was sniffling his nose. And then he looked at the Methodist who was across from him and that he was trying to get to his handkerchief to push the tears out of his eyes. And the Episcopalian had already choked up and was looking down. And you see, what was happening there is that someone who walked with the Lord was a peacemaker, just by the very character and the bearing that she bore in the presence of the other people that were there. What a blessing. He came, the Prince of Peace. He came to bring us peace, peace on earth. Toward men with whom God is pleased, the trouble is that we said we will not have this man to rule over us. And so people have rejected his leadership and his guidance. And they don't want him to rule. And so they take him away. He brought peace by his character. He brought peace by his cause. He brought peace by his companionship so the old Negro could say that she was walking, precious Lord, close to thee. And he brings peace by his second coming. One day he's coming back to claim his own. We talk about peace a lot, the politicians do. They go on television and speak about it. Permanence is an illusion of man, but it's an attribute of God. And The only permanent peace that will ever come will be when Jesus comes back again. When he comes back, there will be peace. He will, he will bring us peace at that time, the peace of His reign. But until He comes, we can be faithful and know His companionship. I remember reading the other day about a little girl, 13, with cancer. Her pastor had gone to see her, and her mother and dad had had to step outside to get something to eat. And when they had stepped outside, she said to her pastor, that she was a little afraid. She was afraid because the doctors had already told her that they had done everything that they could do. And so he said to her, Honey, do you know Isaiah 41.10? And she said, No. And he read it. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you Surely I will help you, and surely I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. And she memorized those words, and they brought peace to her soul in the extremest moment of her life. It's interesting that in 1 Thessalonians 4, that marvelous passage that we read for comfort, at the time of departing, that the peace that comes there says, not those who sleep in Jesus, but those whom Jesus has put to sleep or bring them unto himself. The angels came there to that multitude of angels that came to those shepherds. I remember that during that great rebellion in a part of Africa, where the African Inland Mission was, I was out there in 1960, they used to tell a story about how when the Mau, Mau the dreaded terrorists, were slaughtering people every place. And the most wretched atrocities were being committed that there was some sweet, dear old missionary who had had to go through some dangerous place. And uh, it had to be at night. And there were a group of terrorists who had decided that they would follow and put him to death and kill him. And then they came back and told some of their friends... Whom they had told that they were going to kill him, they said, We couldn't, we couldn't kill him. And they said, Why? And he said, Well, there were all these, all these men walking with him. They told the missionary, and he said, Why? There was no one walking with me. He said, I was alone. I was walking by myself. Well, God had his own soldiers walking with him, he had his own angels. He had given charge over him to keep him, and they walked with him that day. All of this Jesus brings to the world when he brings to us peace. He brings to us a supernatural peace, a peace that the world can't give and a peace that the world can't take away. This is the greatest gift that any of us can have from Christmas, is a deeper awareness of the fact that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and committing unto us the ministry of reconciliation, so that we might show his love to others. That night when in the Judean sky the mystic star dispensed its light, a blind man moved in his sleep and dreamed that he had sight. That night when in the cattle stall slept child and mother cheap by Joel, a cripple moved his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when to the mother's breast the little king was pressed secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night when in the manger laid the sanctified who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grace. Let us stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the time where we sing our closing hymn, we give you praise for the great gift which you have given unto us. We can only say again with the blessed Apostle Paul, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gifts. We could not speak about it enough with Handel's oratorio or Bach's great ability or Raphael's painting or any other poet or artist or musician. But we can give you the love of our own hearts and pray that at this Christmas time you will cause us to live lives that are dedicated and yielded to thee. Help us to be peacemakers, agents of your peace in the world around us because of the peace which has been purchased for us in the cross If any person here has never accepted Jesus as his Savior, help that one to know that the greatest gift he could give to his Lord would be the gift of his heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We will sing.